I look back at Ricky Fowler when when he was a freshman at Oklahoma State. He was one of the best players in the country. I think he was college player of the year as a freshman. But everybody wanted to look at the physical stuff that he did that was good, that made him. But he was just so put together emotionally. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. I'm your host, Josh Nichols. And on today's episode, for the very first time in the history of the show, I actually talked to someone else. I had a conversation with Coach Mike McGraw of Baylor University. Coach McGraw was at Oklahoma State for 16 years, spent a handful of years as assistant coach to Jay Sewell at Alabama, and has been the coach at Baylor since 2014. Coach McGraw has won three NCAA championships, coached players like Hunter Mahan, Charles Howe III, and Ricky Fowler, and the list of accomplishments for this guy goes on and on. He is super wise and has a ton of experience and just some really, really great thoughts, so I know you can get some value out of this conversation. Apologies for how awkward of an interviewer I am, so just ignore me and just try to listen to Coach McGraw. He's got so much good stuff. If you'd like to get in touch with me, just head to joshnicholsgolf.com or text me at 336-399-1825. That's 336-399-1825. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Hey, coach. This is Josh. Hey, Josh. How you doing? I'm so good. I sorry for the uh, technical confusion this morning. <laughs> well, I would say this: it didn't matter if you'd done everything correctly or if I'd done everything like I should. I, I have a very, very bad track record with any sort of technology. <laughs> yeah. And so, my assistant coach just signed me up. You know, I, I downloaded last night the yeah. app. Yeah. And then I went with what you did on this little link yeah and it asked me to sign up he signed me up and it still wouldn't work so uh, i i've tried with one other coach already the uh, the boston university women's coach and that didn't work either so <laughs> i need to okay. get it worked out <laughs> um so anyway uh, i appreciate you uh uh wanting to talk today that's this is awesome yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. I, I, I guess, are we just going to do it like this, or how are we going to do this? This is good with me, as long as it's good with you. Yeah, I'm fine. As long as you can hear me, as long as that's all good, I, I'm good to go. Yeah, I'm, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I'm recording with another phone. Uh, it's kind of my backup plan, just kind of old school, just record the call. Um, so Just for the record, it's not old school. I know <laughs> old school. This ain't old school. Okay. <laughs> I guess old school as of 2019. <laughs> there you go, totally. So, um, so yeah, Baylor, you uh, you've been coaching there for a few years. It looks like I'm, I was looking at your kind of bio here. Yeah, I've, I've been here since June of 2014. Okay, okay. And was one year at Alabama before that as an assistant coach, and then 16 years before that all at Oklahoma State. Yeah. And then a high school coach for 10 years before that. So. Okay. Yeah. So you've you've. Uh, You've always been a coach, sounds like. Yeah, I tried to play right out of college. Okay. I played for about three years and was a junior golf director at the same time um, at a golf course there in Edmond, Oklahoma. Uh, but when I came home 
from those mini tour trips, you know, three, four, five tournaments at a time, my pockets were empty. So I just kind of finally made the assumption that if, if your pockets are empty, it's not really a job if they're not paying you. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a great point. So in that case, you're paying me for this, right? <laughs> well, you know, I ended up being uh, just kind of helping finance other guys' yeah. mini tour careers. Uh, I, I made some money, but I never made enough to keep you know, playing or, or so it, it was obvious to me, I wasn't probably going to be a player. And, um, hmm. so I just chose at that time, I'd already been working with the high school golf team in Edmond. I just thought, you know what? I think I could, I think I could coach. I think it sounds fun. So, right. So did you, did you grow up in Oklahoma? To, I did. Okay. So, you know, we're still water Oklahoma is where Oklahoma state is. Mm-hmm. Okay, I grew up in a small town 40 miles north of there. Okay. Uh, Conoco Oil Company had their largest R&D in their whole world for Conoco. was right there in Ponca City. So it was a refinery. They did research and development there. And so it was a, sort of a oil refinery town. And my dad was the golf professional at the country club. So mm. I didn't really start the game until I was about 10. Mm. All my brothers and sisters started with seven kids. All started... Uh-huh well before that and so i was kind of the last to take up the game uh but literally every day of my life has been spent with golf for the last 50 or so years <laughs> that you sound like me in uh in another 30 years <laughs> uh that's awesome that's that's cool that's cool um so i guess just to fast forward to to where you are now and what you've kind of been up to the last uh 20 years with college coaching um, I mean, obviously you've, the list of success you've had is, uh, is very long. Um, so you know what you're doing or, you know, you put yourself in positions that, that knows what they're doing. So it, I just wondering like, what's the like common denominator there is, is it like, um, is it just recruiting great players or is it like the environment that you build or maybe you can speak to that? Well, the first thing I'd like to say is I don't think any coach wins championships if he doesn't have great players. Mm-hmm. I, you know, uh, John Wooden, you know, he often said he didn't, he, you know, he coached for 15 or 20 years, high school and then college coaching before he ever won a championship. He said, make no mistake about it, the players I had late in my career were a lot better than the players I had early in my career. You know, there's just no question about it. But he was also developing his skills as a coach during that same time. So he obviously was a better coach at 50 than he was at 30. But he also had better players. So, uh, yes, um, you, you must have good players to have great teams, I think. But you, you can also have really good teams with players you wouldn't think would be you know, so great. So um, I, I think, yeah, you try to do your best to recruit great players, but you uh, – I learned a long time ago in recruiting that there's three things. It's a three-pronged approach. One, you can't stress about recruiting. You can't worry about the ones you don't get because they're helping somebody else, you know, another team. You get who you're supposed to get. Those showed up on campus for a reason. And then you better seriously get busy coaching the ones you do get. So that's kind of recruiting. And everybody everybody gets players. So what do you do with them? That's the question. Hmm. Right. So, so it sounds like with maybe you and your example with coach Wooden is like, yes, it's 
the players, but sometimes you have those seasons where you know your players aren't as good as they have been in the past, but you've still seen success. So at, you know, obviously I, I only have one experience and that's with my own golf coach at Appalachian state. So I, I don't know how other coaches do it. I, I did some, obviously some recruiting myself, but, uh, you know, look, talking to other coaches, but I don't know how other coaches do it as a whole. So just, I guess the, like, what involvement does a coach have? What responsibility does a coach have in turning a team that maybe is a little more lackluster into a good team? Well, I think you you start at the very crux of all of this, to me. This has just been my experience. And what I've learned over the years is coaching has to start in the heart. So it's got to be, you've got to get to know your player at a heart level. And that sounds a little gushy-gushy, you know, kind of, you know, pie in the sky and everything's wonderful. But it's true. You've got to go there because that's where all of his dreams, everything he's ever done in his life to this point when he met you has been stored in his heart. That's where it is. And so you've got to get in there to figure out, what he is, who he is, and what he's struggling with. And then once you kind of figure that out, then you just walk alongside him using hopefully your expertise, hopefully whatever resources you have in place, hopefully uh, just staying at that heart level where it's like, I mean, I think you should develop some sort of affection for every player, meaning uh, you don't you don't love them, like them all the same, but you love them because it's just like this kid needs help right now, whatever it is he's struggling with. So that's how I think average teams or average individuals are turned into something better than they were. It's when a coach connects with a player on that level. I think if it becomes uh, something surface, like what your scoring average is, if it becomes if you're an All-American or not, if it becomes what have you done for me lately? I think then you're missing because that's easy. We can all evaluate talent on the surface. We can all see a result. But what's inside there, that's that's where I go. So I think to answer your question, it starts at the heart level and then you just build out from there. So do you have maybe practical tactics that you do with players? Like do you just say, hey, let's – come meet at my office, we're going to talk for an hour, or let's go grab a coffee, or let's, I'm going to walk with just you on the course. Anything like that? Yeah, I, but it starts in the recruiting. Right. I, uh, I don't even call it recruiting anymore. I hate to call it recruiting <laughs> because recruiting evokes an image of, and I don't mean to disparage anyone, but sort of a used car salesman. When you, when you walk onto the used car lot, the man walking towards you in that suit has one goal in mind and nothing else matters in the entire world. What is that? Josh, what does he want? To sell you the car. To sell you a car. And so recruiting is sort of that. It's like, I'm going to say anything, do anything. I'm going to coerce. I'm going to beg. I'm going to plead. I'm going to trick you into getting on campus. Once I get you on campus, I'll make it right. That's the rationalization that people use. It's like, I just got to get the player. It sounds good, but during that time, you're not really developing a true relationship. And so I changed the word recruiting to a two-pronged approach, which is evaluate talent and develop relationships. And that's what I'm doing during that thing that we generally refer to as recruiting. And so 
you ask the question, how does that look? Do you call him in for an hour? Well, <laughs> for two years since he committed to me, we've been having weekly text messages, and he's come on several unofficial visits, and he's, uh, we've talked about, I've talked to his instructor, I've talked to high school coaches, I've talked to, so my point is, is the coaching for a player should begin way before he gets on campus, way before that, and if you haven't done that, then you're going to have a lot of growing pains once he gets here, and you're going to have to go through that whole process of learning who he is. And I'm trying to do that in that evaluation process anyway because then that's when I decide whether or not I think he would fit on campus in our program, you know, with our team, with our philosophy. You know, some kids would not, absolutely not thrive in Waco, Texas. I can't explain why, but it didn't for everybody, and I'm not for everybody. There's no way that I'm going to connect with every single type of individual. It's just not going to happen. So you ask, what, how do you do that once they're on campus? Well, I start way before they get on campus, if I'm doing my job. Mm, that's good. That um, You know, unfortunately, I didn't have that experience for myself. And I, I, that sounds like every what every coach needs to be doing. And if they're not, they like you said, they're going to have growing pains because I did and all the players I saw on my team did it just it didn't feel like a relationship it just felt like uh just a a babysitter almost you know like he's just driving us around and I didn't I don't want to turn this into bashing my own coach but um I just at that that's so important the the relationship and myself as a as a mental coach and not been doing it for long i can glean from what you're talking about. And, and it's not so much of, um, I only talk to you when I'm with you and we only talk about your results and it's just so much more than that. And, um, that's good. I, I, I appreciate your sharing of your, of what you do. Um, so do you, I guess, um, I I just wanted to kind of know your, just to shift gears a little, just your kind of general philosophy on the importance of the mental game. I mean, I'm biased because that's what I do now. But, um, like, as far as your coaching and your involvement with your players, how much of it is mental and how much of it is, you know, kind of swing instruction? Well, if a large, large percentage of your coaching is swing instruction – uh, you're going down a really dangerous, tenuous path. That's not going to be good. Um, for one, college golfers nowadays, at almost every level of college golf, have worked with an instructor, a good majority of them have growing up. So they, they're coming in a lot more sophisticated, at least with on the surface, with knowing their golf swing, knowing what produces good golf shots, that type of thing, than, say, players did 40 years ago when I first started coaching, or 35 years ago. So... If, if you're thinking that you're going to build a championship program through instruction only, that's kind of silly. Um, for one, you can't have a, be a one-size-fit-all players that you recruit. That's not going to happen. In other words, everything I think about or believe about the golf swing is not going to apply to every player. And if a player is smart and really cares about his future, he's listening to what I'm saying. The same way you're listening to what I'm saying right now, it better appeal to your sense of good judgment or you need to make it work for you or it's not really that valuable. So that's what I think about instruction. I think uh, the player needs to take responsibility to own it 
And I think, so anyway, I, I got a little on a tangent there. It's, it's essentially instruction is not the number one priority for almost any college golf coach. Now, you might be instructing in life. You might be instructing in nutrition. You might be instructing in good habits. So you might be doing a lot of instructing, but if it's just the sheer golf swing, that's crazy. Uh, you're not going to build a championship program doing that, and that's not the best way you can impact a player anyway. He's got a swing instructor at home. Uh, I would reach out to the swing instructor and make sure you know what language is being spoken to that player well before he gets here. Develop a relationship with that guy so that when you get here, all you're doing is augmenting what that swing instructor is doing, being an extra pair of eyes. But the uh, as far as what do I focus on with a mental game, uh, yeah, I walk with one player a lot, and my assistant coach will do the same. We might walk a full 18-hole round in competition with a player. What you're finding out about that player is how he handles good things, how he handles bad things, what kind of decisions he makes, what decisions he makes when he's under par, what decisions he makes when he's over par. Uh, does, is that affected differently or is it change? You, you do a lot of learning by watching, observing, talking to, and walking alongside a player in a round of golf. So I do a lot of that. We try to do it here in Waco before we go on the road. Um, but I think the best thing a coach could do to answer that question a little shorter is this every day when you see a player make sure the first communication you have with him has nothing to do with the game of golf so whatever that is it needs to be something else about his sister about his mom a dad girlfriend how you feeling life going okay are you overwhelmed whatever but if the very first communication you have with a player every day is about golf then he knows on on some level he understands you really just care about his golf and that's it so Hmm. Right, so you're you're far more interested in relationship than uh, results, I guess. To... Completely, and it, it's it's transactional or it's transformational. It's one of the two, and I don't think you spend much time in between. And uh, the transactional coaches that still exist in the in the world of competitive athletics nowadays, uh, I don't think they're long for this world. I truly don't. Uh, I think it's going to have you're going to have to try to transform kids' lives some way or another, and it can be in the physical part of it. It can be in their actual sport, but the other part, we don't have an option. We do not have an option. We have to mentor. We have to train. We have to uh, change their lives. If we're not doing that, then we're falling short of what they're paying us for. I think. So, so your goal as a coach at the end of four years or five years. Is so from I guess not even five, but like seven with the two years of um, of your evaluating the player and building relationship with the player, leading up to them coming to Waco. Those seven years, six or seven, do you like have a like clear sentence goal for a player? Is it every player different? Obviously, or what? What's your philosophy on that? Yeah, every player is different. So. That sentence you're talking about, that goal for that player, it's, it's developing and evolving as our relationship develops and evolves, as his golf game develops. And, you know, first of all, not every kid's going to handle being away from home for the first time the same way. It's just not going to happen. So that's where you walk alongside and figure it. I, I have one goal for every player that, that's the same, and that, that is this. I just want to be a welcome addition to his address book and his phone for the rest of his life. In other words, I don't want him when he sees 
that I'm calling or there's a text coming from me. I don't want him to cringe. I, I want him. I want him to go. I can't wait to talk to this man because he helped me while I was there. And we, boy, we had some good times. We had some bad times. We had some tough times. But if if I'm not welcome in that address book and his phone, then I didn't do my job. That's awesome. That's uh, that's good advice for for a coach and for any relationship kind of mentor pupil relationship. That's, that's awesome. Uh, so, so when a player is struggling and that happens all the time, it wouldn't be golf if there weren't struggles. What do you, again, you're a good coach recognizes that every player is different. So no solution is the same twice. Do you, do you have a usual thing you do when a player's struggling? Like, okay, let's let's just talk. We need to just uh, okay, what's going on in your life that might be causing this? Do you have a like a struggle solution thing? Uh, yeah, it would just be open and honest communication. And if I've done my job before the struggles. So leading up to these struggles, if I've done my job, then I think he's going to trust what I have to say. If I've, if he understood well before he started struggling that I care a lot about him, that I want him to, to be great, that I want everything, you know, just I want a great life for him. Uh, I have a better chance that he'll trust what I'm saying. If I have a track record of helping players before he started struggling and he knows that, I have a better chance of being successful in helping him. So the, the thing is you don't just – because of your position, you don't automatically get to have this credibility that, listen to me, you're struggling, and listen to me because I have the answer. Now, I don't think that works. Just positional you know, uh, influence, I don't think that works just because I'm the head coach. Uh, my assistant coach has lots to offer, and if he's offering a player something that's helping him, so be it. That's great. All we care about is the player uh, you know, progressing, flourishing, thriving. And when he's struggling, uh, I, I don't think just because I say something that it's going to make that big a difference. I have to earn that. And there's some lead up to that. And so, uh, but if he, if he knows that I'm, I'm right there in the trenches with him, I think I've got a better chance again. I mean, so I, I named four or five things that give me a better chance to have a platform with him. I just have to, uh, I have to earn that. Right. So you, it's, it's never, uh, okay, you're struggling. So let's, let's get to the range. Let's put down an alignment rod. Okay. Okay. What, what is this specific decision you're making when you're playing bad? It's, it's so much more than that. It's like, okay, let's, let's get back to the basics of credibility. Let's get back to our relationship and okay, are we doing good? Okay. Are you okay? Just in life and, you have a much more holistic approach than... Well, yeah, and it's evolved through the years. Right. I will tell you that that alignment rod and working on their golf scene, yeah, that's all involved in there. It's all intermingled. So don't think that I'm saying just, you know, talk to a kid all the time and his golf will be great. No, you still do things like that. You know, you still work on the physical part of the game and that type of thing. But but when he's struggling, he also needs, you know, he needs to do a good job of evaluating what's happened to him and i help him do that our guys fill out evaluation forms after every competitive uh, tournament um that they they tell me and i don't let them do it the day of the of the tournament i think that's silly because you uh you're you're too caught up in the emotion of what just happened in the tournament and 
Uh, I know this. I make emotional decisions in life, and I make clear decisions in life. But I've never made a clear-minded emotional decision, not one time. All of my decisions that I've made that have that involve emotions have very little clear thought going on. So I want to remove a little bit of the emotions. They, they do an evaluation the next day. They tell me everything that they're learning about themselves, the fears they have, the struggles they're having, why it's manifesting itself on the golf course, all of those things. And then we sit down and talk about their summary, what they wrote about the tournament. So there's a lot of self-evaluation as we're going through this process. Um, and I'm involved in that with them. So I think that's important. If you just go merrily along your way and said, uh, the best way to handle that terrible tournament you just had is just to forget about it. it sounds good, eliminated from your memory, but if you haven't taken the lessons from it with you going forward, then it was just a bad experience. I want a bad experience that I turn into a learning experience so it gets, makes me better. If I pretend that it didn't happen, try to trick myself into believing it didn't happen, that's a waste of time. Plus, he and I don't have a conversation. I want to have face-to-face conversations a lot. And sometimes they're confrontational, and sometimes they're uh, transformational, sometimes they're you know, supportive. You know, you could be anything. But the fact that I'm engaged in their lives, uh, and I, like I said, I start that way back in that evaluation process years before, then hopefully, when they leave Waco or wherever it is I'm coaching, uh, Hopefully, when they leave Waco, they they uh, they realize, okay, he did care about me. That that I cannot deny. That's good. Um, I I like that analyzing, not just forgetting, and then let's see how let's see what we can take from that experience, and not just paste a good or bad label on it. And and because every experience has is on a spectrum. It's not black and white. Yeah. Uh, um, that's good. Just the evaluation. And I, I do a, I do an evaluation thing for my players, but I have them do it. I, well, I don't tell them when to do it. I just say, okay, after the round, let's evaluate what went on with your mental game. But I've never put that thought into it of, you're probably really emotional right after the round. Even if it was great, you're still caught up in it. And, um, so to evaluate it based on that is, not going to be clear that that's that's good advice for me <laughs> to be selfish uh, I, I just know that I've, I've done the other way it didn't work the other way for me so hmm. uh, when I was too emotional you know sometimes as a coach I have to be able to step back and say let's give this a little time to percolate give it a little time to cool down because if I say something right now it might not be the right thing and maybe sometimes you do it say it right then but I just try to do to remove emotionalism from decisions as much as possible. Now, it doesn't mean emotion. Emotion's still there, and I'm passionate, and he's passionate, and all that about what they're doing. But uh, you want to make a clear-minded decision if possible. So. Mm, that's good. So I won't keep you a whole lot longer, but just to um, shift gears a little to what I, – I work with a lot of junior golfers, and, you know, all of them – and, you know, particularly I, I work with a lot of junior girls right now, but just principles still apply. What, you know, you're at a very high level of um, in the college golf scene, but what does it take mentally to prepare? Like, what should a player be preparing for mentally in their high school years and before 
to be able to get to that level and get the attention of a high-level coach and, and be able to play at that high level? Well, I think um, I think it's so different for everybody that I couldn't give you one answer that covers all people, but I could give you an answer that what you want to do is, is start to mature in, in your emotions, in the way you think, in your decision-making. You just want to know that you're getting smarter, you're getting better. I've got a, a kid on my team right now who's in his fourth year at Baylor, and he was way too emotional as a freshman. He was a really brilliant kid, but he was way too emotional as a freshman. He wasn't able to clearly think about what he was doing. So uh, <clears throat> he had probably never developed that skill, but he's a smart guy. And so once he finally realized over a couple of years, you know, coach is right about this. I need to uh, never let one emotional decision lead to another. I don't want to let anything I'm ha- this happening to me lead to something that's so emotional that I can't control what I'm doing or what I'm, how I'm thinking. So that's the part I would do is I would try to mature. I would tell kids as they're going through junior high and high school and whatever is, you know what, we can work on your grip all we want. You can develop a great flop shot and you can, you can uh, repeat that driver all you want. And that's good stuff. Do all of that. But also don't forget that your mind uh, is a muscle too, and it needs to be trained. And so uh, continue to think about how do I play golf? What I, I think about golf all the time. I would, my best friend would sit around with me and instead of uh, you know wasting time watching television or playing a video game. It would be like, how could I get better? Or why do you do this or whatever? So find somebody that that is a better golfer than you and see how they think and ask them questions. And so that's what I would be doing. I'd be training my mind as I'm going along training my body as well. And that's probably the best advice I'd have because the biggest problem freshmen have besides homesickness and just being away from home for the first time is usually making good, clear, non-emotional decisions that help their game. So I I would exercise the mind a bunch. Mm, Yeah. Emotional maturity. um, Yeah, for sure. The, there's probably a correlation of great college players and their level of emotional maturity. I would like the the player, you know, like let's just take a Jordan Spieth where he, the phrase is wise beyond his years and that kind of thing. It that seems to be a correlation to to greatness early on. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I look back at Ricky Fowler when when he was a freshman at Oklahoma State. He was one of the best players in the country. I think he was College Player of the Year as a freshman. But everybody wanted to look at the physical stuff that he did that was good, that made him. But he was just so put together emotionally, and he took care of his business, and he was disciplined, and he was uh, he was just put together. And that's what set him apart to me. He physically was great, but that part didn't impress me near as much as the way he was just kind of emotionally ready for the change. And, and he moved from California to Oklahoma. That's, a, that's like going from one country to the other. And... He literally handled it beautifully and played well, and he's played well for literally all the years he's been on tour. He's always been a good player. But I think his ability to have a short memory for the bad stuff, to emotionally handle what's happening to him and move on, it, it was shockingly good as a freshman in college. So I think that, that helped him. Mm. Yeah, he's he's never struck me as someone who uh, wasn't afraid of a challenge. So that's, that's good. Um, so just lastly, I I wouldn't I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that you wrote a book a couple years ago. Um, yes, sir. So better than I found it. Um, 
What's what's that about? Well, uh, it's about my journey through coaching. And what I wanted was my colleagues that have known me forever to realize, I, you know, <laughs> you think all this success just meant that everything came easy and I was happy all the time and everything was perfect. I needed them to know that I went to a very dark place in coaching. And uh, it's kind of crazy to say, but fortunately I got fired because it, it made me look at my – and I did not want to lose that job. I loved being at Oklahoma State. It was like a great experience for all those years. But when I got let go, it, it forced me to look inside and say, you know, if you're going to coach again, you've got to be better than you were uh, for this group of guys. Even though I think I was a pretty good coach, I did fine, but – so it, it forced me to look inside more than I ever had, ever. And uh, it's given me the enthusiasm. I, I, was never, I was never more enthusiastic at 27 to coach than I am today. So um, that book is about that journey and how I went to a dark place and then kind of how, you know, ever since I got let go at Oklahoma State, I have been on the way back to a resurgence in uh, in enthusiasm and excitement and love for what I'm doing but um, I've always been a journaler I've always journaled everything that ever happened to our team and whatever all through the years but nowadays those journals have a lot more impact on you know making a good impact on players uh, self-evaluation for myself so the book is about that and uh, it was a saying my dad had when I was a boy and the book had been 99% 99% written, and I didn't have a title. And my wife said, you better figure out a title. You're going to put that thing to print next month. And she encouraged me to go back and find some things my dad said that made an impact on me, and that was the one that made the most impact. doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing, just leave wherever you are better than, than it was when you got there or better than you found it. So that's that's what the book's about. Mm. Yeah, that's that's really good. That's uh, It's built on... It's built on all really, really good things, sounds like. Um, well, that's good. So I appreciate your time. Um, just just before we go, if you could just, if someone asks you in an elevator what, um, what you do, what would you say? Impact lives. That's it. If you can't, if you can't do that as a coach, uh, have an impact, in a, you know, impact lives positively, hopefully, but... You, you, that's what you're there for. You, you're not there just to drive the van. You're not there just to schedule the tournaments. You're not there for the, I mean, those, yeah, you're there for all those reasons too, but if you're not there to impact lives, I don't really know what you're doing there. And, you know, I knew this instinctively as a 27-year-old coach. I lost it when results became the focus. And when I regained it was when I realized that's why I got into coaching to begin with is to impact lives. I had, there was no other reason. It wasn't to make a lot of money. wasn't to become famous. It was for that reason. So that's, that's what I did. Well, that's awesome. Well, I, Coach, I appreciate your time. Well, I appreciate that very much. And I, I have enjoyed being on this morning. Thank you for oh, having yeah. me. Absolutely, Coach. And if you ever need anything, reach out to me. And Sounds great, Josh. Thanks. All right. Have a good day. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Mental Golf Show. If you liked it, I'd love it if you subscribed. And if you want some more, you can go to joshnicholsgolf.com. Or I would love to get in touch with you. Just send me a text, 336-399-1825. All right, catch you next time.